Today on Tips from the Top Floor, we look at a possible way to create smaller, cheaper, sharper and lighter lenses. And Jared wants to underexpose his photos to get a shorter shutter speed. This episode is brought to you by DiscoverTheTopFloor.com. 2019 will be the year to revisit some of the most iconic photo tours we've done. But all with a new twist. We'll go back to see Frozen Lake Baikal from a different angle. 2019 will take us back to Ethiopia, this time through the Omo Valley with its amazing tribes. We'll visit Bhutan again, the land of the Thunder Dragon. And we'll cross it all the way to see parts that tourists rarely get to witness. And we'll go back to the Kyrgyz Republic along the Silk Road to revisit one of the most diverse landscapes that I've ever been in. Check out the photo tours at discoverthetopfloor.com for more. I'm looking forward to traveling with you. This is Tips from the Top Floor, episode 877 for September the 5th, 2019. Tips from the top, from the top floor, tips from the top, all right, from the top floor. Hey, hello, welcome, it's Chris Marquardt, you're listening to Tips from the Top Floor, and we are back with another episode 877, uh, smaller, cheaper, sharper, lighter. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's look into uh, into the whole thing that popped up in my in my feed reader, going through the blogs and showed up in multiple locations, and it was also sent to me by Greg and a few others. So thanks a lot. It's about a a new miracle formula that solves the spherical aberration problem, and the big question is. Will this give us flat and cheap miracle lenses? <laughs> yeah, I see the question marks in your face and I had some too. Uh, let's let's go one step back, right? Let's first of all look at what is spherical aberration in the first place. And uh, it's very simple to explain. Ideally, if you have a point in front of the lens, you would hope that every beam of light from that point would be focused in the same spot. And those beams go through the center of the lens and through the sides of the lens and the, the edges of the lens. So you want those all to be focused on the same spot. But that is just not the case with just plain old lenses. Because the, the rays in the middle of the lens, they get focused to a slightly different spot than the rays from the side of the lens. And that means that the lens isn't sharp or... Let me put it this way, it's not sharp throughout, right? That field behind the lens, the sensor in your camera, um, you want that field that is projected on the on the sensor to be sharp throughout, in the center, in the corners, and so on. Now, if you are a bit of a nerd, then <laughs> you know that that's just not the case. Lenses go out of focus, go slightly unsharp towards the edges. And extreme example is a lens baby, what's the current, Muse, I think. Um, yeah, that, that lens doesn't have any straightness in the field of focus. It's just focusing in one point and then the rest quickly goes out of focus. And there are several ways to counter that and we've done them forever. One is to stop down. If you use a smaller aperture, that will increase the field that's sharp. And so corner sharpness will become uh, higher. The the field gets more even throughout. And uh, the second way to counter that is the manufacturers can introduce specific lens elements in the lens that counter that. 
And you will be familiar with that. If you have <laughs> any number of lenses, you, you've probably come across the ASPHS uh, name on them. And that's what's an aspherical lens element. That's an additional special element inside a lens that is not spherical, but it has a weird shape. It's aspherical, non-spherical. And... Uh, the lenses need to be ground into that very specific shape to counter for things like uh, lack in spherical uh, in, in, well, or too much spherical aberration to counter that. Okay, so here's this new formula. And uh, the new formula is now... It, it's a pretty much a miracle because we've, we've made lenses for so long but no one ever figured out the exact formula um, so the new formula pretty much allows you to make or to to calculate the geometry of a lens that will have zero spherical aberration. So it will produce a field that is in focus throughout, which is awesome. And by the way, this is also an, aspher an aspherical lens element. The result of the formula creates an aspherical lens, just a very specific one. And uh, that means the lens manufacturers now have that formula. They know with 100% certainty the exact shape they have to give a lens to result in zero spherical aberration. No more guesswork. So far, <laughs> there was a lot of guesswork. Uh, the result is 100% flat, sharp field. And f so far, all lens designs were only approximations. Nobody had cracked that formula and manufacturers, they needed multiple lenses and elements to fix the field of sharpness and get it as flat as possible. Now, uh, that is also one of the reasons there are so many elements in a lens. I mean, just look at the specs of your bigger lenses. Sometimes they have 16 or more individual lens elements in there and some of that is to correct for spherical aberration. Now, what does that mean for lens production? <laughs> so that's a very good question, because now to get to the point where, where you get the best sharpness throughout, ideally you'd only need one single lens that is made after this formula. And fewer lenses in a camera, fewer lens elements in a camera results in fewer uh, boundaries between air and glass. And each of those boundaries creates its own problems, and that means less lens flare. Um, and you could do this with one single lens. Okay, first question. Is this doable? Because there is a reason why, the, why lenses nowadays, current lenses with aspherical elements, typically only have one of those in there, because making those is not easy. It's difficult. Um... Second question, how about zoom lenses? And those, I think, will still need multiple elements because that's how zooming works. And uh, question number three, will this formula do anything regarding chromatic aberration? That's, a, that's different from spherical aberration. Chromatic aberration, um, that happens when different wavelengths get a different focus. And that is another thing inherent in lenses, because if you cut out a piece of a lens, 
it's just a prism, right? It's it and prisms split light into colors. So lenses do that too. And that's another reason why lenses are a bit more complex because they also need to counter chromatic aberration. And that also requires corrective lens elements. So there are lots of goals. There are many goals when you design a lens and spherical aberration is just one of them. So the difficult thing will be to integrate those new form- that, that new formula into the lens designs without throwing off any of the other parameters. It's a system. And while I'm not a lens designer, uh, I have the feeling that all those things are a bit of a compromise. And all the different variables in the lens are really tuned finely to go to go and get you uh, the maximum for a given situation. I mean, just, just an example. Let's look at a dedicated macro lens. And, and those are optimized for sharpness at short focus distances. And uh, that results in the lens being not as sharp, uh, but being a bit more soft when you don't use it at those short focus distances. For example, as a portrait, at a portrait distance. But then for some portraits, that's a benefit. I mean, there's, there's a reason why some portrait photographers swear by the 100 millimeter macro lenses for, for taking pictures of people because it's, it's soft and it takes blemishes out of the skin, that kind of stuff. Now, again, as a lens designer, you're working with conflicting objectives. And that's also the reason why, uh, why there are so many different lens designs. They all have their own properties. Uh, and also lens manufacturers put patents on their own lens designs. So let's say you buy a 24-70 by one company. That is likely a different design from a 24-70 from another company. So there's that too. And my guess is that this new formula will probably require new lens designs around it. Or at least old lens designs need to be adapted. So that won't happen overnight. And uh, I'm I'm pretty sure lens designers are working on that right now. There must be... This formula must have stirred up a few things. Um, But yeah, I believe the hardest part of this will be to to actually make those lens elements. I might be wrong. I might, there, there might be computer-controlled CNC lens grinding machinery that can spit out any shape, uh, but I'm not sure about that. I mean, we, we're talking about very specific shapes, not just a curve with a radius. And if you ever looked at any of the available YouTube videos on how they grind lenses, yeah, that is... Uh, that there's a lot of old wisdom and a lot of old crafts techniques in there. I'm not, I don't know how modern they are and how good they can get there, but my guess is that they're not there. They're just a bit more complex than, than that. And I don't know how easy those will be to manufacture, even, even if they require new machines or manufacturing methods to achieve those shapes. So in the end... <laughs> Let's ask that question from the beginning again. Will this new formula give us the cheap miracle lens that we're all hoping for? And I would say no, no. Probably not because that that formula will not solve every problem, right? It solves the spherical aberration problem and that will result in lenses that 
are hard to make the lens elements so i would argue that what whatever cost will be saved by like reducing the amount of lens elements i think that that's a good chance this will be added on top uh, again by making by making it a bit more complicated and expensive to produce those new lenses so my my guess is that while the, there's certainly improvements on the horizon when it comes to sharpness of lenses thanks to that formula i think the cost the price of lenses will not change at all but again if anyone out there is in lens design if you work in that field let me know if you can shed some more light on this i'm always eager to learn Let me say a quick thank you to this week's sponsor, Masterclass. Whatever you're passionately curious about, you can keep digging in and learning more with a master of the field when you sign up for Masterclass. And you know, it's really interesting because, of course, the first thing that I personally checked out was their photography content. Jimmy Chin on adventure photography and, of course, Annie Leibovitz. But, you know, browsing the catalog, I got stuck with Chris Hatfield just recently because uh, his class on space exploration is just something else. Very gripping love the production so very sleek and well done such a joy to watch and just in general so much great content there masterclass offers exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of their craft learn the art of photography from Anne Leibovitz and adventure photography from Jimmy Chin and tons more masterclass offers classes on everything from game design to basketball to french pastry fundamentals there are over 60 classes and new ones are added all the time lessons are about 10 to 15 minutes long and you can explore them in whatever order you'd like on your phone tablet apple tv and computer plus masterclass offers a 30-day money-back guarantee when you sign up for annual membership so you've got nothing to lose now you can have unlimited access to every masterclass and as a tips from the top floor listener you'll get 30 dollars off just go to masterclass.com slash top floor for 30 dollars off your first year of the all access pass that's masterclass.com slash top floor for unlimited access to Masterclass at $30 off masterclass.com slash top floor. Hey, Chris, this is Jared from San Diego, California. Love the podcast. Thanks for all the insight. Uh, the question I've got for you today is one that I've posed on a couple of different forums and gotten conflicting results about uh, even amongst self-proclaimed uh, professionals. So uh, the question is, uh, when you're shooting uh, action in low light, uh, I've heard that a common technique is to underexpose intentionally to get a better shutter speed without having to raise the ISO and then uh, raising that exposure in post. Um, I understand that uh, raising the exposure in post is going to amplify whatever noise is in the shot, but how does that noise compare to the noise that would be inherent in using the proper ISO in the first place? I've heard terms thrown around such as upstream noise and downstream noise, and I've heard that it depends on what model of camera you have. Just wondering if you can shed a little insight on which set of circumstances would lend itself to a better final product. Is any of the noise easier to remove or more predictable? Uh, do you lose any dynamic range under exposing uh, for shutter speed? How do you feel about that technique? Thanks for the podcast again, and uh, hope to hear from you soon. Hey, Jared, thank you. Um, yeah, this is <laughs> this is a well-debated topic, and I'm not at all surprised that you are getting conflicted answers because 
that just depends on so many things. And I think, I personally think it's debatable if it's worth going that extra mile. Um, because, I mean, okay, so, so, so just to explain it again, you want to shoot with your shorter shutter speed in low light to freeze action, I guess, in sports. Um, but instead of pumping up the ISO, you would shoot it at a lower ISO. And this way you would keep um, the noise out and you would keep everything darker. And then in Lightroom or your software of choice, you would fix that later by cranking it up. Um, and as an alternative, you could just shoot it straight away in the camera the way you wanted. You crank up the ISO in the camera and this way lower the shutter speed. And then in post, you wouldn't have to, uh, yeah, to, to fix things in terms of exposure. And again, this really depends on many, many parameters and I mean, on the camera that you use, if you're shooting RAW or JPEG. Um, but it's actually quite simple for you to test this with your own on camera. If, if this is important to you, it is not important to me whatsoever because the cameras are really good and they do a really good job. And uh, my personal experience uh, is that uh, differences are marginal. So again, it's easy for you to test this with your own camera because that's, I think, what you have to do if this is important to you. If you want to put that extra work in and the extra time. Um, and uh, you have to test it with your own camera and with the settings that you would use. And here's how you do it. It's very simple. Get your camera into a dark environment. Just I just tried it here in, in, in at a dark corner of the room, right? Put it on a tripod, set it up on a high ISO. I don't know, 6400 twice that i don't know whatever you want and uh, put the camera in manual mode so you don't get any automatic metering and be in the way why open your aperture and set a shutter speed that works for this exposure right if you have a dslr use live view for that so you can easier see that and then take the pictures you have a well-exposed picture at a very high iso and now turn down the iso let's say three stops right that's normally nine clicks three clicks per stop so if you started at 6400 bring it down to iso 800 and then don't change anything else leave the shutter speed leave the the, the aperture uh, just change the iso from 6400 to 800 and then take that picture again now you should have two photos one with good exposure and a high iso and a darker one with a lower iso and now import those into Lightroom or, again, whatever you want to use. And in your software, raise the exposure of the darker picture by three stops. In Lightroom, that's easy. Right next to the exposure slider in the develop module, just enter three in that box and you're there. Now you have two pictures at the same brightness, one that was shot with a lower ISO, one that was shot with a higher ISO, but you fix that in post. They're both the same exposure now. And in Lightroom, if you mark both photos in the library... Uh, you highlight both and you press the C key, C for compare. Um, then you get a side-by-side -side view of the two pictures. And when you click on one of them to zoom in, it zooms both in. So you can easily, and then you can pan around and they will both pan. And you can easily see side-by-side -side how different they are. And guess what? When I just did that with my camera before, before I started the recording, I couldn't really see any discernible difference between those two photos. Or maybe if there was a difference, if I, really with a lot of goodwill, I, I had to actually go in and zoom into 300% to, 
to finally see a bit of a difference. But if there, and which doesn't make a difference because you never go over 100%, and even that I would argue you hardly ever do. Uh, so even if there is a difference, I would even lean into the direction that the picture that was taken with a higher ISO on camera is, is just a minute fraction less noisy than the one that erased the brightness off after the fact. Uh, and again, those differences, in my experience, are so minimal that for all practical purposes, it won't make any difference. So before I would even go close to any of those technical details for, for things like sports photography, I'd probably work on things like framing, on focusing technique, and especially on timing. And I know that's probably not what you hope to hear, but really, don't sweat the technical details too much. There's so many other areas in photography that are so much more important because, you know, a boring picture will not become any less boring if it's less noisy. And that was it for this week. Thanks again to this week's sponsor, Masterclass. And of course, a huge, big thank you to the 45 of you wonderful people who actively support TFTTF on Patreon. The names are Jeremy Kirvin, Jeffrey Block, Alex Crozo, Bernard Goldbach, Daniel Hertrich, Ken Davidson, Leslie Redland, Marco Binder, Matt Armstead, Peter Morrow, Scott Wurzel, Tom Stewart, Eran Pinasov, Stu Silverman, Alan Brucehorn, Andrew B., Anthony, Bartik Bosky, Chadley, Clark Chandra, Christopher Greenhill, Dave Smith, Dave Recht, N. Kyung, Francesco Scaglioni, Greg Anastasi, Holger Krupp, James Trimble, Jim Caldwell, John Donahue, Josh Hopko, Jasmine AMR, Ken Berrien, Kyle Nishioka, Marvin Aaron, Michael Grunert, Peter M. Spradling, Rob Duba, Robert Goshko, Ryan Gilio, Sina Farhat, Stephen Sandler, Thomas Nielsen, Trevor Palmer, and Woody. And of course, <laughs> thank you all so much. You can get your name on the show as well by joining this wonderful group of awesome people at tfttf.com slash Patreon. Thank you. Music for the show by Jeff Smith. Smith, Smith silent partner and hence better Gagorud. Publishing and Slack challenges by Release Peaks. Rastador Armstead Slack invitations by Chief Invitation Officer CIO Rusty Russ. And the link to get on the Slack is in the show notes. It's tfttf.com slash wislack, W-H-Y-S-L-A-C-K. My name is Chris Margrad. You'll find me on social media at Chris, M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T. Go out and take amazing photos. Share them with the world. Be nice to each other. I cannot emphasize this anymore. Be nice to each other and happy shooting. <laughs>